The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show today, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And yes, we have to do it. Looking back at Fulham's 4-1 defeat in Coventry, a second half shockwave from the Sky Blues ripped through the heart of Fulham. It's our third defeat in six, and this one was by far the most concerning. So today is the debrief. What went wrong? A lot of licking of wounds on the podcast today, no doubt. And here to lick with me, that sounds weird, is Farrell Monk. (laughs) Hello, everyone. (laughs) And Stephen Sheldrake making his debut. What a terrible pod to make your debut on, Stephen, but welcome along anyway. Hello, Sammy. Pleasure to be here. Um, I'm hoping my debut is as great as Colin John. That would be nice. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think of other good debuts. Uh, Pavel Pogrebniak. He was a hero. He was so good. That's a good debut. Facundo Sava. I don't know if it was his debut where he was good, but he was certainly lightning in his his first few games. So yeah, they're the debuts to leave up to, uh, Stephen. Welcome along to the podcast today. Not the best one to uh, be reviewing, but hey, that's Fulham, isn't it? Farrell, let's do some three-word reviews from yesterday. What came in? Plenty of them were about the catastrophic second half and probably more so the catastrophic rain that um, that followed us out of Coventry. Luke Barr's HMS piss the bed. Jamie Smith's <laughs> HMS pissing rain. Tom Ford's here Rico again. That was a, that was a nice one. Uh, and he was also following up Tom Ford with Halloween Comes Early. And I'll finish off with Colm Bugler's Coventry Chin Fulham. Yeah, very, very good. Well, let's get into it then, um, Stephen. And just an afternoon to forget. 100%, wasn't it? Uh, It was a second half calamity, partly our own doing, certainly the first goal, partly dodgy refereeing and partly some very, very good football from Coventry City. I think it's a mixture of all three. Is that fair to say? Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, I mean, you know, coming into the game at half time, I was thinking, well, we're one nil up and we're doing what we need to do. And I was highly impressed with the defence. You know, our players were all putting their bodies on the line. You had shots being blocked by uh, Reed as well, which was fantastic to see. And um, it was one of those where we kind of got away with it, but it felt like it was going to be OK. Um, but then things just didn't switch up at half time, and Coventry kept doing what they were doing very well. And the only way to describe that second half is that we really crumbled under the pressure. Um, many mistakes, a lot of good play by Coventry, making good use of the wings and overloading us. Um, and I guess we're going to dissect each of those goals in a little bit more detail. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I was watching the goals back on YouTube and I decided to put it in slow motion. And um, it's even more painful at half the speed, I can tell you that. Yeah, um, Farrell, it was a little bit like watching a horror movie yesterday. I think if you'd have put some scary music soundtrack underneath that first 15 minutes of the second half, um, it would have been fully apt. Um, How was it in the ground? Uh, I can't even imagine um, the desperation on the faces of the 2000 Fulham fans when the fourth went in. I mean, when people were asking me today, what was it like yesterday? They were like, was it, it must have been a terrible away day. And I was like, well, up until half time, it was shaping up to be a brilliant away day. You know, um, there was loads of fans there. We all got there in good time. It was good atmosphere and whatnot. Um, the fans were in very, very good spirits at half time. I can tell you that much. 
and then before you i'd even gone back into the to stands to uh to well not take my seat but stand up again in in the seat there were I'd, we'd conceded two goals um but it was just one of those ones where it just got worse and worse as the game trundled on as Coventry got their third and fourth and then all of a sudden the heavens opened and and all the fans are thinking about ah it's not going to be a happy trip back to Coventry City Centre uh, as we were certainly uh, caught in the rain as well and it was a it was a very wet one and um, trying to find any sort of shelter to be able to get back and it just got worse and worse as the day went on really. Uh, Stephen let's come on to the lineup then and it was an interesting one from from Marcus Silver. I guess he had to make a few changes given the really short turnaround between the game on Wednesday against Swansea and then the kind of early kickoff against Coventry on the Saturday. So out went Brian, Tosin and Seri. Uh, Brian seemed like more of a injury, but Tosin and Seri felt more like rotation and in came Robinson, Mawson and Onoma. And... In one sense, I really liked this lineup because I felt like his mistake against Blackpool was not using the squad enough, right? He used the USA players that had just come back, particularly Robinson, particularly Ream. And I felt like that was quite a big reason why we were quite poor against Blackpool. But again, I don't think some of the players that came in, Mawson and Onoma particularly, and arguably Robinson as well, covers themselves in much glory. It doesn't, it did, it wasn't a good day for the second string, uh, the fringe players looking to get into that first team. No, it's um, exactly that, Sammy. Um, you know, these fringe players have so much ability in them. Uh, let's, let's focus on Cabano for a moment. Um, his performance against Swansea was one of the best that I've seen in the Fulham shirt. He was, you know, running through players. Um, he set up Mitro for a fantastic goal and he, you know, it was a real handful for them throughout the whole game. Um, you know, contrast that to the weekend and um, against Coventry, and it just felt really flat, um, inconsistent. And other than some very nice crosses coming in from corners, which in fairness did set up Mitro's or the own goal, if you like, <laughs> um, it was very flat. Uh, you know, and I understand Mawson coming in, you know, after the performances he's been giving, he's been doing really, really well, but... I think it showed that we do really did really miss uh, Tosin yesterday. Um, I don't. I personally don't feel like the scoreline would have been what it was with Tosin on the pitch. Um, and like you say, Onomar, yeah, again, quite a poor game. Um, and I would personally put him at fault for that second goal, um, other than Gazaniga's uh, just horrific pass to Tim Ream. I actually think um, Ream shouldn't be taking any blame for that goal. Um, Gazaniga kind of passes it across with way too much power, not to feet. Uh, Reem, you know, touches it away from the striker. Uh, and then there's the mix-up, of course, of Onomar. But in my opinion, Onomar just pretty much full-on tackles him because um, he couldn't clear it through his body. So, yeah, disappointing performances from those kind of free players there. Um, you know, for me, Seri should be starting every game. Um, and now we've got some more question marks, haven't we, over who should be starting against QPR on the 15th? Okay, Farrell, let's look at the first goal. Um, It all started so well. Um, It was a McFadzine own goal. Uh, I think there was a bit of confusion in the stands as to who exactly did score the goal, but it was a McFadzine own goal. But good work from Mitrovic and and a strong corner from Niskins Cabano. And I certainly felt half an hour into the match that Fulham were good value for the lead. Yeah, and obviously Marco Silva, unlike previous managers, 
have looked at this team and looked at their strengths. And one one thing that we've never really been able to sort of do a lot of, uh, probably not since we've had a proper set-piece specialist, is actually score goals from corners. And, you know, it's well documented how many we've, we've scored from set-pieces already this season. Um, and when you've got a player like Mitrovic, he's always going to be bullying defenders and whatnot. Um, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't watched that particular goal back yet, but I've heard that it was a complete foul in the, in the build-up to it. Uh, probably another one that um, VAR has, has, the absence of VAR has rescued us once again. Um, but it's obviously an area that we've, we're targeting and especially with players like, well, usually Seri is, is in a lot of the corners, but Cabana has always been someone that, you know, we know is, is, is good from a dead ball situation. And it's worked once again. Um, you know, Mitrovic is always going to be one of these people that will do absolutely anything and everything to try and get the ball into the net. And if that is going as far as unsettling the opposition defenders, he's going to do it. And we got the reward of it. And at that time, and I, you know, I actually think that Fulham weren't playing particularly well. And I don't think in that first half, I don't think either side were probably worthy of scoring a goal. To be honest, there was a lot of misplaced passing. There was a lot of unforced errors. And I think that that is more down to Coventry's hard work rate unsettling us. And both teams, when you know, we've started playing poorly, but Coventry weren't really playing that well as well. So, you know, I think that going in half time, one nil up, especially after that first half performance, you've got to be absolutely delighted and breathing a sigh of relief and trying to take things into the second half to try and to try and do something better. And it obviously just didn't just didn't happen that way. And that first goal, Farrell, I mean, you could write a dossier on all of the things that, that went wrong in those kind of 10 seconds, those mad 10 seconds. It is a poor pass from Gazaniga. I'm not 100% sure I can agree with Stephen that Ream is totally blameless. I don't think it's the most impossible pass to control. I also just think the mix up between him and Onoma it was just shocking, wasn't it? It, it really was. Onoma, though, I cannot, I cannot understand for the life of me what he's trying to do there. Was he hoping to take the ball off Reem, thinking Reem might stop and then he might be able to control it? But surely once you're in that situation, have a bit of quick thinking and get yourself out of it. It would have been better if Onoma just put his foot through it and it went anywhere. Corner, throw in the worst thing that could have happened was just doing a bit of nothing. And then it fell to the Coventry players who, who finished it off. Well, well, it was, it's indecisive and it's indecisive from players like Reem and Onoma that you would expect a lot better of. Um, I think that the, the first poor touch and sort of puts it into a bad situation for both of them, but you'd expect just to Reem just to sort of take control of that situation and do something with it. And it's very much against the way that the team like to set up. We don't like to play it in tight spaces. That's not the way that, especially at the back, and especially not the way that, you know, Reem and Mawson and Onoma, they like to create huge wide angles, 20 yards in between all of them. So they've got a real chance to sort of fire away and, you know, keep the opposition at bay. Whereas Coventry like to try and keep it tight. They played very, very narrow and tried to squeeze our players in and they got the reward for it. I think it's a mix of the mix of them forcing us into a mistake when we really should have dealt with it and then being available to pick up the pieces and, and get the goal. 
Uh, Stephen, let's come on to the penalty then. Um, I'm annoyed by this one. I felt like Sky Sports slightly glossed over the fact that it was a dive. I felt like the wider media are going, oh, how great did Coventry play? They did. But this game turned on ahead via this decision. It was a clear dive from the Coventry player. I know Robinson sticks out a bit of a leg. I can kind of half see why the referee gives it. But you look back at that replay and and it's just infuriating because it's not even close. And, and I do think as much as the first goal was a pivotal moment, I do think that that second one was a real game changer. And after that, it was just a critical blow that Fulham couldn't recover from. And we do have to hold our hands up and say that Fulham were bad yesterday. I wonder if Coventry probably would have gone and won anyway, even if we hadn't conceded that penalty. But it's a massive, massive factor in the match. Certainly. And at that crucial moment in the game where, you know, a draw is turning into a loss, um, and you can say that we were chasing the game after that. So we were overcommitting bodies, certainly in the later goals, um, that it has a huge impact of a game. Of course it does. And this is unfortunately a scenario where if the AR did exist again, that they wouldn't have given that penalty. Um, you know, upon initial viewing, you know, Robertson sticks out a leg, um, doesn't get the ball, but also doesn't get the player. Therefore, it's not a penalty. He dives over. And when you look at the overall movement of the attack, the players running to the right, to the outside of the box. He's not attempting a shot on goal. He's not really going anywhere, um, which makes it even more frustrating. Um, so it's not, it's Stonewall, it's not a penalty. Uh, I think we've been let down a lot actually by the linesman in this scenario because looking back at it, the referee's quite far away. You can see there's probably a body or two. He might not actually be seeing um, that contact happening, but it looks like it is. Whereas the linesman has a very clear view of that tackle or, you know, the fact that there is no contact there. So I really feel like he should have stepped up then, but how often do we see that where, you know, linesmen just want to have a quiet game and not get involved. Um, at the end of the day, they, you know, Coventry played a cheeky ball in. Um, Ream unfortunately didn't get his foot on the other end of it, um, which led to Harrison Reed making a fantastic tackle on goal. I don't know if you remember that, where mm. he basically slides around the player and clears it. Um, so kudos to him. But then sadly, yes, Robertson jumps in a bit hastily, um, but it's not a penalty. It's a dive. Should have been a booking for their player, a draw. And then it's a completely different game after that. So definitely let down there. Yeah. And Farrell, the third and fourth goals, I don't think we need to dwell on every single goal. I felt like it all kind of mashed into one towards the end of the game. The third was a decent strike, but it came from, you know, clear Coventry pressure. The cross before Matson's goal was an absolute doozy and um, deserved a goal in itself. And then Matson kind of finished it off with an emphatic strike. The fourth was, it felt like a bit of poor defending, mixture of good attacking. Coventry basically were just, once that second goal went in, cutting us open like a knife through butter, really. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> The one that's always going to stick in my memory and considering where the fans were, the perfect angle to see that shot dribble meekly past Gazaniga's left foot and him just watching it go past it. Oh, that's going to live in my mind for, for some time. Mm. Uh, you know, it was, it was poor. I think once we're on the back foot, Coventry were just the, they've got the wind in their sails and they just, they took it with a plum. We were poor. They were better that cross for the third they'd been doing it they've been they've been putting us under pressure and they would they'd be they were picking out the pieces they were able to put us under pressure and 
it was a multitude of errors that led to the result yesterday on our on our side and we weren't able to show any of our quality yesterday. I don't think we were beaten by the better team. I think Fulham will bounce back from this. We we have players on the sideline who are coming back. Don't think Robinson, for example, I think there's I think there's an element that he might have been rushed back in considering the injuries to to Joe Bryan after missing out on Wednesday. And I think that showed in his performance. And I think that showed in that in that sort of lazy leg out he puts um out to cause that penalty, if you can if you can say that. I think it's just one that we just have to write off and forget about it as much as as, as easy easier said than done, that's for sure. Let's come on to the Gazaniga question. Um there I'm getting comments left, right, and centre regarding our coverage of the Gazaniga Rodak debate. On one hand, we have a lot of people tweeting us all the time, justice for Rodak, why is Rodak not playing? Think Rodak should have started the season. On the other hand, we're having people message us saying, why are you trying to almost create confrontation that shouldn't be there? Gazanig is our number one. He hasn't done that much to be dropped. Yesterday, and I was the kind of safe distance of watching it on the television, so I maybe didn't have the view that you get in the ground, and you do definitely get a different experience of watching football when it's on the telly as opposed to in the stadium. I didn't think Gazaniga did all that much wrong. Yes, it was a poor, sloppy pass for the first, but you know who isn't guilty of doing a sloppy pass from now and then? It doesn't always necessarily result in a goal like it did, and there was a lot that went wrong after that too. Um, the fourth did trickle past him, but I think I think Rodak isn't saving that either. It does go agonisingly past him, and it does look bad but I also just don't think it's that terrible goalkeeping. He stops it with a world-class save becoming 5-1 later in the game. And it's been enough of a meltdown at 4-1, but imagine if Coventry scored five, that would have just, you know, been beyond the pale. Where do you stand on this, Stephen? Do you think Rodak deserves a chance or do you think that Gazaniga has been unfairly maligned by the fan base? I I honestly cannot call it either way. No, I love this debate personally. Um, it's amazing to see how passionate people are about getting Rodak in between the sticks. Um, for me personally, I'm very much in the middle. Um, I take a stand back and I look at it and I go, wow, you know, we've got two fantastic keepers. So whoever's in that lineup, I'm very happy. I trust them both to do very good jobs, you know, in between the sticks. Um, having said that, you know, Rodak's been called up on twice. Um, I appreciate they're both cup games, but it was, you know, a couple of clean sheets and he made some, Amazing uh, penalty saves as well against Leeds, if I remember correctly. Um, but Gazaniga is a very good keeper with Premier League experience. And, you know, that's what we're trying to build here, a Premier League team. Uh, but, you know, that performance yesterday wasn't his best, albeit the save at the end is probably the best save we'll see all season because it was sensational. Um, but I guess the question is, what does Rodak have to do to get his chance in the league? And based on everything that I've seen so far, I believe he deserves. Um, a chance you know I'd be very happy to see him up against QPR and for Marco Silva to say well here you go here's your opportunity earn that place in between the sticks so overall I don't you know I don't think it's a justice for Rodak thing because Gazzanig is a fantastic keeper and Rodak's very young he's got a bright future ahead of him Um, but there is only much sitting on the bench that he is going to take um, because he is an international goalkeeper now and there are going to be a lot of teams recognizing his ability so in summary, I love them both um, and I'd really like to see Rodak get his chance um, and prove to Marco Silva in the league that he has exactly what it takes because we already know what he can do. 
Um, so it'd be great for him to have that platform again. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with a lot of Stephen is saying. I, I, I've, the one thing that kind of gets me about it was like, as soon as that first game for Paolo Gazaniga happens, he already had quite a lot of the fans on his back. And it's, I think they're waiting for him to make, you know, have real, really, really bad game before those calls would get louder. They kind of are, they're waiting for it and expecting it. And they're just waiting for Rodak to come in a third of the way through the season and absolutely smash it. Um, and I don't think that helps. I think we need to sort of support him rather than just, well, we've got Rodak and they should be playing him. So Gazaniga is crap. So, you know, whatever. I think that we need to, we need to get behind him, support him. Um, you know, the manager quite clearly does. I think potentially after yesterday, the, that Marcus Silva might be tempted to twist, uh, for the QPR game in a couple of weeks after the international break. Um, but at the moment, I don't feel like this is a bets v button. We we seem to ask that question, answer that question every single week on the podcast. Um, all those years ago, um, I don't think it's I don't think it's quite clear cut as that. I think at the moment, when you're looking at it on paper and in goal, it's much of a muchness for me at the moment. Unless Gazaniga has like a really bad game, uh, a really bad couple of games, then potentially. I don't think we're going to see Rodak very very soon. Although I'm not sitting here saying Rodak is crap. Rodak is quite clearly very, very good as well. You say it doesn't remind you of Betts v Button. And I agree in, in a way that I think this is two much higher pedigree goalkeepers than, than David Button and Marcus Bettinelli. The narrative feels similar though. The narrative feels like it's going one way and that Gazaniga will have another clangor, that Rodak will get the slot. And I I, I can just see it that by the end of the season, Rodak is the number one and everyone will be happy. It just feels like it is going that way. And of course, David Button that season didn't get dropped until December. It was a bad game against Brentford that ultimately did it for him. You know, so the visa really stuck with him for months and months and months, despite the fans kind of having that sixth sense that we felt that Marcus Bettinelli was the better option in goal. And lo and behold, it was the right call. And, and I really can just see it happening this year. And I don't know why, because I do like Gazaniga as a goalkeeper and I don't really think he's done too much wrong, but I, I, sometimes people just have a sixth sense about these things. And, and, and sometimes I think it's wise to act on that despite probably all the evidence that Marco Silva is getting in training that Gazaniga is his first choice for a reason. I, I Hard to put my finger on it, but I can just see it going that way. But yeah, I felt like some of the criticism yesterday at Gazaniga was a little bit unfounded. And as you say, Farrell, I totally agree. I feel like sections of the fan base, not the whole fan base, have been waiting for Gazaniga to make a mistake. Anyway, we're going to take a break. We've got loads of your questions to get through. So we're going to get into them after this. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here and joined by Stephen Sheldrake. Hello, Sammy. And Farrell Monk. Hello, friends. Right, let's come on to a question from Thomas Ryland Jenkins. He says, does our reactionary negativity need to relax? It's been a quarter of the season and we are two points off the automatic promotion places. Not bad. I feel as if the Bournemouth... Parker, great start, is rattling us as a fan base. It's like we're obsessing slash comparing ourselves over an ex who moved on is is doing great thoughts. I think this is a fantastic analogy, Stephen, and I pretty much couldn't agree more with Thomas. Uh, Interested to get your thoughts, though. 
Oh, he makes a fantastic point. I'm constantly looking up Bournemouth's results and the fact that he, you know, Scott Parker's doing so well. It's, I mean, I think it's surprising everyone that he's doing this well. Um, and I think we really wanted to prove a point that you know maybe it was Scott Parker's tactics. Uh, you know, Parker ball that was maybe part of the reason we went down in the end. Um, especially the lack of goals at home. Um, but then, yeah, exactly like comparing it to an ex where, you know, we've moved on, we've got this sexy new manager playing lovely football. And yet, you know, Mr. Parker Ball was top of the table and five points above us. And suddenly um, it's quite hard to look at the table at the moment in that sense. But stepping away from the situation, you know, we're fifth in the table. Um, on the other flip side of that, we're five points off the top of the table. Uh, it's a long, long old season. And, you know, we've got to give Silver and the team time. It's a whole new coaching team. You know, it's only been a couple of months they've actually been embedded in there properly. Um, so I'm very calm and relaxed. You know, come January, uh, I want to see where we are then and if we need to rearrange the team at all. But right now, we've just got to let, you know, let everyone embed in properly, focus on what we're doing. And then when it comes to crunch time, that's what it really matters. Um, it's too early to be uh, some of the comments I see online about, yeah, like Silver and Parker and then whatnot and tactics. It's like we just need to calm down, enjoy the ride. We, we, you know, compare it to when we first went down and we were struggling to survive. I think we need to just enjoy the good moments. Um, but certainly we need to improve. Um, but give it time. That's that's my advice. Farrell, next question from at Red Red Not Good. He says, where is the consistency? Are Kenny Tete and Carvalho our most key players? Um, this feels a bit like a classic symptom of uh, thinking your injured players are the best in the world. But also, it does feel like after the international break, should we get Tete and Carvalho back? And all the signs from Silver's press conferences are pointing towards that at the moment. It will be a massive, massive boost. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to think that we have a player that's played only a handful of, of times in Fabio Carvalho and think that he's integral, this, integral to this team already, which is, you know, probably overstating a little bit. But we've seen what Fabio Carvalho brings to this team and it's it's wonderful to see. Um, I I don't necessarily think it, that um, without those two players that Fulham are all of a sudden not a good team because I, I just don't think that's true. We've been at other games, like we saw against Swansea the other night, we were good for, for most of that game um, without those two players. Uh, I, I think that they're not integral to the way, the style of play that we, we do. I think that um, what's really lacking is just when we have a multitude of injuries or niggles in one particular area, it's always going to um, overstate our deficiencies in a particular area. You know, I think that Onoma looked quite off the pace yesterday. I didn't think he was at his best. We know what a fantastic, he had a fantastic start to the season. Do not get me wrong. I, yesterday, he he didn't look on it. And without Fabio Carvalho and without Tom Kearney, we're all of, all of a sudden in that sort of, number 10 role, we're looking very, very light. Um, I know that Deco Dover Reed is sort of that player that can play in that in that position, but not really playing that's that sort of shape at the moment. We're we're kind of doing um we kind of got two eights with maybe Deco Dover Reed playing slightly ahead of of Harrison Reed with um with uh, well yesterday was Onoma who dropped back a little bit. 
um, which we know is not really his favoured position. But, you know, you're starting to think, well, if in that area we're really, really lacking, it's going to sort of bring the team down quite a lot and makes you think that we are missing those players quite a lot. But overall, we do have enough quality in this team. We had a massive off day yesterday and, um, you know, we were out-muscled, out-played and we didn't really play Coventry the way that we wanted to. We made loads of mistakes. That doesn't mean this team all of a sudden is crap because we're missing two players. Um, there's certainly still enough in here. Hopefully these two weeks will will give some of our players time to to get back up to mu- uh, match fitness. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, Fabio Carvalho is coming back to slot in as well. But if he doesn't, I'm still, I'm still not, I'm still not thinking that um, it's a complete write-off from here on because we don't have those players in the in the team. Alex Pure Power asks Stephen, "What is it with our fans and always wanting a scapegoat?" Um, he's talking about Gazaniga here. I feel like we've probably done the Gazaniga Rodak debate, but yeah, I do agree that I feel like every fan always wants a scapegoat. To be fair, but I do agree that Gazaniga seems to be the current one. He also asks, though, which I wanted to touch on, what was going on with our defensive line? Reem and Morse are never in line with each other, and. I didn't agree with this decision yesterday. I know you said earlier that you felt like with Tosin, we wouldn't have made those mistakes. I agree. I like Mawson. I think Mawson's a good player, but this is my theory. We've seen Ream and Mawson play before. I think it was the Brentford game where they played together away from home. We only lost one nil, but it should have been about six. We got absolutely demolished. Um, it was in December, not long before Christmas in the season that we did go up under Parker in the end. And, I think that if, let's say, you want to give Tosin a rest, you play Hector. Ream and Hector is a combination that works. It worked in 1920, and it's a decent combination. Ream on the left, Hector on the right. If you want to play Mawson, it needs to be Mawson and Tosin. I guess Mawson and Hector as well works fairly well in that that Leeds game. I feel like... Ream and Mawson is just a defensive combination that shouldn't happen again. It's not worked before. It really didn't work on Saturday. Your thoughts? Uh, I 100% agree with that. I think we're absolutely blessed to have, um, I'm going to say four and a half um, fantastic centre-backs. <laughs> Terence, uh, I believe he's only played 99 minutes for us in total. Um, that's a conversation for another time. But um, yeah, no, you're 100% right. I think Ream has done more than enough to establish himself um, as part of Marco Silva's plans. Um, and I love watching him. And I think it's amazing that he's got back into the team as, as well as he has. Um, but yeah, maybe perhaps Mawson and Ream are just a little bit too similar. Um, part of the problem, I think, is you know when you're constantly changing the back line, it's never going to be good for chemistry um, and, and understanding of one another. Um, you know... And then you put into that someone like Adoy sl- slotting into right back. I love Adoy, um, and he does some fantastic, you know, you know, runs, and and he's great on the ball. Um, but you know, if you've got Adoy on that right side, who might not be as good as someone like Tete, who I think is brilliant, um, and you're changing up the defence like that, it's very easy for for little slip ups to happen, that, like yesterday. Um, and I think the world of Michael Hector, uh, perhaps he was slightly too off pace with the Premier League. We don't really know what was going on there. Um, but in the Championship, he could very much have been our player of the season. When when he came in on that half season, our defence was transformed, uh, you know, 
from the slow first half of the season to the way we rose up to third place and, you know, could have gone um, up automatically. Um, and I thought he had a great game against Leeds. Again, another clean sheet. Um, not that you want to analyse it too much, but I, I definitely think Michael Hector has a big part to play in our team. And um, Hector and Reem have played together for many years now. So I think that seems like the easy decision, um, but maybe Silva didn't have the confidence to do that, which is a shame. And Mawson does deserve the chance, but I think in that left-hand centre-back slot, not not in that right one alongside Tim. And just to touch quickly on the scapegoat issue, I think you're right there. You know, across social media, there is a lot of blame being put on individual players or tactics a lot of the time. But you know, it, it's too it's too easy to single out a, a single player. I think there's lots of different facets to what's going on in Fulham at the moment. Um, and I wouldn't say there's a single player that needs to be, you know, pointed at and blamed for for the kind of things that have gone wrong um, with us so far. I think there's there's lots of different elements, um, and I'm sure they'll sort themselves out over time with, um, you know, Silver at the helm. Um, so, yes, just going back to what I said earlier, really, I think we just need to be a little bit more patient. Yeah. Um, Farrell, I think this isn't a question, but one thing that I did a little bit of a deep dive on earlier in terms of looking at a few other teams in this situation, I don't feel like a defeat of this magnitude is massively unique to teams that have then gone on to do very, very well in the title race. So I had a look at Norwich and Watford from last season. Um, There's some interesting results in there. You know, every team that goes up loses a few matches. That's nothing spectacular. But you look at um, Norwich last season, their 15th and 14th games, they drew one all with Coventry at home. Okay, there's no disaster there in drawing a game. And then they lost 3-1 away to Luton um, in, their, in their 15th game. Uh, Watford last year lost 2-0 away to a pretty poor Huddersfield team. They also lost 1-0 to Cardiff in the first half of the season, 1-0 to Barnsley, 1-0 to Reading, and even Wolves, probably the best championship side I can remember in the last four or five years, that season that we also went up, but they went up as champions. They lost their 10th game to a pretty average Sheffield United side. They lost 2-1 to a very average QPR side. And whilst, yes, 4-1 to Coventry does feel like a, a notable result in the championship, I'm sure it's not one that many people saw coming. It's also just just nowhere near fatal. No, I, I, absolutely. I, we're still fairly early on in the league it's only 11 games we still haven't reached re- even the quarter uh uh stage yet there's still plenty of football to be played i mean you can always draw comparisons to you know just looking within ourselves right now the last two championship seasons that fulham have had and we didn't really have particularly good starts to the season yes that first uh season under slavisa i think we went unbeaten in august but then it was a pretty pretty ropey a couple of months after that. Um, And there's still loads and loads of time. There's still loads and loads of time for teams like Coventry, Stoke, Bournemouth, West Brom, QPR, all the teams up there to go on their bit of a winless run. It will happen. It's the Skybet Championship. Um, You know, you're always going to get the odd result here, here and there. I mean, who, who can forget that time that, um, Birmingham were flirting with the playoff positions. We went up there, lost um, 1-0 to them. And that was their only win in 23 games after that or something ridiculous. It's going to happen to a lot of the teams. It's going to happen to Fulham. We will have our ropey patch. I wouldn't even consider 
at the moment at Ropey Patch, like one really bad game out of the last few. It's just one of those days where it just didn't work yesterday. I think it's quite easy to to make it a bigger deal than than it actually is. Like Stephen said, let's let's be patient. Let's um let's see how things go. Um and you know I, I think that things will pick up again. Absolutely, I don't. Th- I think Marco in his um post match uh, interview said pretty much the right things. He was aware what a poor performance it was, and I'm sure that he'll know where it needs to be where it needs to be fixed. Yeah. All right. We'll take a quick break and we'll have a couple more questions before we finish the podcast. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Farrell and Stephen. A couple more questions then before we finish. Uh, Stephen, this one from Joe O'Brien who says, what does Brian have to do to get a run of games? Robinson was the worst player on that pitch yesterday. Don't necessarily disagree with the second part. I thought Robinson did have a bad game, although, you know, it was the uh, worst of a very, very bad bunch. Um, Brian did pick up that injury on Wednesday as well. So I wasn't expecting really to see Brian in the first team. He did manage to make the bench though yesterday. So he clearly can't have been that bad. It's one that we've talked about all season, a bit similar to the goalkeeper conundrum. We've got two high quality left backs. It doesn't seem like they can both get into the same team. And I know we've talked about potentially one of them at left wing, but Marcus Silva probably correctly doesn't want to do that. Is it time for Brian to get a run? A bit similar to Rodak. It's one of those that you just feel like sixth sense. I feel like it would work better than Robinson. I just feel like I trust Brian a little bit more in that position. And it might just be home comfort. I probably know how Brian plays a bit more. And also I've said on previous podcasts, it's sometimes a little bit of heart over head with, with Brian because we all love him as a person and what he did in that playoff final particularly. I do just have this sense and I can't put my finger on it that I think that Brian is the better option and, and Robinson has certainly not covered himself in glory pretty much since that international break. Mm, it's very interesting. And first of all, I think the two players are very different with their strengths. Um, so for example, we know Robinson's pace um, and work rate up and down those wings is next to none. And the importance of having a player like that on the pitch when you're trying to avoid being counterattacked, especially away from home. Robertson can be, you know, the make or break, um, the, the player who's going to be the last one back on a, on a long ball situation with the pace that he does have. So if you take him away from the team, suddenly you do lose a bit of that pace at the back. And with, you know, Tete being out as well, you know, pace is obviously a very important thing. Um, you know, having said that, we know what Joe Bryan could do, probably a little bit stronger in the tackle. And we know his crossing ability is far vastly superior um to robinson's uh, and with a player like mitro um feeding off crosses you know it's certainly no bad idea to have joe uh swinging them in from the left hand side um i mean in regards to yesterday you know having watched brian against swansea he went down a couple of times and was taken off um and he looked like he was really struggling with whatever injury it was at the time so i feel like that was a straightforward decision for silver um, you know, who should start week in, week out? It's, it's a very interesting question and, and maybe it depends entirely on the tactics we're playing, whether home or away, trying to play counter-attacking football or not. Um, it's certainly a headache for Marco Silva and I wouldn't want to single out either one of them to say this person should be playing because I enjoy what both of them bring to the team. So um, would I like to see Joe Bryan playing more? Yes, yeah, certainly. Do I think Robson should be dropped completely? No. 
Um, if that boy could just sort out his crosses, um, I think he'd be a phenomenal player. Um, but it is what it is at the moment. So I think we're just lucky to have both of them and hopefully we see both of them play regularly enough that we can kind of make the most of both of their strengths. Yeah. Uh, final question, Farrell, from Gordon at FFC Riverside, who says some of our second half performances during the season have been erratic. Do you think Marco Silva overthinks his tactics at half time and doesn't get his message across? Or is it down to the players slacking off and not killing off games in the first half? Definitely our first half performances have been much, much stronger than our second. I can maybe only think of the Birmingham game where I felt we were pretty good in the second half and and we kind of capitalised on our advantage. Um, Stoke as well, we were fairly good in the second. But other than that, quite a lot of our second half performances have been meek at best. And obviously yesterday was was the extreme example of that. I'd hate to sound like a cop-out, but I'm going to cop-out and say it's too early to say. Um, Okay. There isn't enough evidence for me at the moment. I think you can look at all of those games in isolation and sort of point to one thing or another. Sometimes mainly because the game was won by like the hour mark and we've decided to sit in. Um, you know, the game was won on, on Wednesday night against Swansea and we had to change shape after the Joe Bryan injury. And and that was pretty much, let's just manage the game from from here on then. And we did okay. It was, you know, hark back to the Parker, sit on the 1-0, five, at the, five, six, seven at the back sort of situation. Um, I think that when you've got a team that's so at the moment ultra attacking and scoring a bucket load of goals, if you're not scoring, you know, one, two, three in the second half, then it might actually look like we're not playing as well. It's probably a case of a mixture of that and a mixture of just managing the games. I just think it's it's too early to say at the moment what what the situation is going to be like later on in the season, how Marco Silva will react to certain situations, how he manages games. I think it's also down to the way that we play. We like to start really, really aggressively. We try and win the game straight from the off. And I think that's probably why, um, you know, going back to the last question, why Marco Silva tends to opt for Robinson over over Joe Bryan. I think absolutely Joe Bryan's a very good championship um, player. It's a great player to have at our disposal. But considering the way that we like to play, start strong on the on the front foot and, You've got Anthony Robinson, who is finding, he finds so many gaps. Um, he exploits so much sort of weaknesses and sluggishness in opposition players with his pace and his his ability. Um, yeah, there's stuff that he needs to work on. I think he's come on leaps and bounds it last year. But, you know, this is the way that Marco Silva wants to play. And Robinson is is a testament to that. Um, I think if you, if just to, you know, touch on it briefly with Joe Bryan, where I, where I was sitting on Wednesday night, I was, right um right there with him pretty much on that on that left hand side and he started slow against uh Laird on who was playing for Swansea but eventually he got the better of him and Joe Bryan absolutely bossed him for the for after that first 10 minutes but that's not the way Marco Silva wants he wants to be right from the off and and that's probably the reason why it might seem that in the second half we're not playing as well because we play so well to start off the games Okay, well, thank you very much for all your questions today and thank you for listening. Um, It was a really tough one to take yesterday and I think a lot of the fan base is 
pretty cheesed off with the situation at the moment. So fingers crossed with a couple of weeks to kind of stew on it will be in a little bit more of a mood to uh, go again against QPR in a couple of weeks. I feel like the international break in August came at like a really, really bad time. But right now I'm quite looking forward to two weeks without um, getting annoyed with Fulham and fingers crossed. Yeah, as I say, by the time that Rangers match rolls around, we'll uh, we'll all be up for it again. Uh, Farrell, before we go, we just need to name the podcast. So what would you like to go for? As much as I loved Luke Barr's HMS Piss the Bed, um, I think I'm going to have to give it a commentary spin and opt for Tom Ford's Here Rico again. Fair enough. Good name today. So thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. Farrell Monk, thank you very much for being on the pod today. Thank you very much. Stephen Sheldrake, great debut. Thank you for being on the pod. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me and thanks for listening, guys. And uh, commiserations to Cam Ramsey, whose laptop died just before recording and uh, he couldn't be here today, but uh, I know he was here in spirit uh, throughout the whole podcast. So have a good week. Thursday Club returning later on in the week uh, with a bit more reaction to Fulham's latest matches and have a good start to your week. Come on, you wipes.